Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that harkens back to the days when Blanche, Dorothy, Sophia, and Rose were silver girls. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. So if you're not, turn it off now. Okay, there you go. Uh, for pipe parts this week, we've got another Ask the Pipe Maker with Jeff Grasick. And if you've got questions for Jeff, send them in to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And then my guest is uh, John Jensen of Rev's Pipes. So we get to know him and his uh, uh, and his past. <laughs> yeah, been a, done a lot of things. Uh, so we get to we get to know John, and then we'll have music, mailbag, and rant. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Hopefully, some of you got a chance to uh, celebrate International Pipe Smoking Day last Saturday with uh, with a few pipe smoking friends of yours, either uh, on Zoom or the phone, or I don't know all those different ways to connect. And uh, maybe some of you in the Southern Hemisphere actually got to get together with people. Uh, that'd be nice. Speaking of which, please send the sun back. It's coming back. I'm getting excited. Uh, did you get a chance to take advantage of any of the uh, any of the sales or deals? Let me know what you got. I was watching them, and I was uh, not able to get anything that I wanted for my collection. But that's okay. Uh, don't need a uh, don't need a holiday in order to get a pipe or get some tobacco. It just needs to be ones I want. So. But yeah, if you if you got something, let me know what you got. You know, share, tweet, uh, follow me on Facebook and Instagram, and there you can tag me and stuff and do whatever. Or you can just email in pictures of what you got. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with uh, Jeff Grasick for another Ask the Pipe Maker segment. And as promised, Jeff, see, I get to do the intro. Now I ask you the question. That's how this works. Are you ready? Fine, fine. This came up on a uh, on a Zoom chat that I was involved in about the dimensions of the draft hole, but purely in the stem. So, okay. As we all in the uh, as we all in the non pipe making world understand it, your draft holes are I don't know three point eight millimeters through the through the wood the shank. Four point one, yeah. Four point one, uh, yeah. Okay, size matters. Four point one millimeters, matter. and then when it gets mm-hmm. to the stem, some mm-hmm. some magic and trickery happens. Because the draft hole gets smaller. 
and then kind of changes shapes on you. Am mm -hmm. I, am I correct? It, so you, the dimensions change. Yes. But ideally the overall volume of airflow is not constricted. That is kind of the gold standard for modern pipe makers. So it goes from a round space that has X amount of capacity and mm -hmm. then starts to squish down and turns into a rectangular space that has the same amount of capacity. That is the objective. Yes. Yes. And what we want to happen is for, for there not to be a reduction in airflow or as, as small a reduction in, in airflow as possible because when you reduce that airflow, it causes turbulence and for condensation to form and bond to the sides of the draft hole and makes for a rather unpleasant smoke. I'm sure each one of your listeners has had a goopy, drippy smoke before, and you don't want to use 15 pipe cleaners in the middle of a pipe. So turbulence on an airplane and turbulence in a pipe is bad and uncomfortable and might make things wet. Mm -hmm. And consider this your pilot's warning about how <laughs> the turbulence lies ahead. <laughs> so how exactly do you, how, how do you, Jeff Grasick, the pipe maker, take that 4.1 millimeter round hole in the shank and mm -hmm. how do you convert it down? And remember last we talked about all the work that you do on the little plastic end part, the stem. So mm -hmm. how do you, how mm -hmm. do you do that? I mean, do you have a, uh, do, you, do you have a rectangular shaped drill bit? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't everyone? Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's actually, um, it, it's not all that complicated. It might be a little challenging to describe. Um, so what I do is, so, so when a pipe maker is working on a pipe, the first thing you're going to be drilling is the, the briar part, the stummel, we call it. And you drill three holes in there. You've got your tobacco chamber, the big one. You've got your draft hole, the little one, and you've got your mortise, which is the slightly, or the, the middle size one. And that's the point of connection between your stummel, the wooden part, and your mouthpiece, the rubber or plastic part. Now, what we're talking about is that that airway running through it, the smallest hole. You want to make sure, at least my design philosophy uh, for smoking, is that I want to make sure that airway does not constrict as it moves from the tobacco chamber all the way through the button end. And so when a pipe maker is working on the mouthpiece, they drill that airway and they're doing it, if, if, if it's 4.1 millimeters on the end of the tenon, but on the end of the button, it's only, let's say, a millimeter and a half tall. Yeah. Well, clearly you can't drill through that four millimeters through the, the uh, 1.5 mil side. So you have to drill from the tenon side. And the question is, how do you get it from the 4.1 millimeter circular dimension to the flattened dimension. And the, the way that we, that I do this is that I use a tapered drill bit. So it starts at the widest part is 4.1 millimeters and it slowly tapers to a near point to about a millimeter and a half on the end. And I drill that to about within about a half an inch, three quarters of an inch from the end, the button end of the mouthpiece. And then I flip it around the other way. And I use a smaller, like a one, one and a half or a millimeter uh, pilot drill to go through the button end. But then comes the challenging part. Then you have to make it flat. And the way you make it flat is 
by manually kind of dragging slowly, dragging that turning 1.5 millimeter drill bit from side to side to carve out the flat slot. And you're cutting okay. internally like a V shape that goes back about an inch, inch and a half into the mouthpiece. And once that rough flattened airway is drilled, then you use, then I have a little hand saw that I made that fits down in there and I can make it wider further down, like deeper into the airway. And then a series of needle files, really small files that I use to first um, smooth out or, or, or finish shaping the internal part of it and remove any of the tool marks because you don't want anything for your pipe cleaner to get stuck on or for a place for collection of, of moisture and gunk to, to occur. And then you want to smooth it and, um, and polish the internals after that. So it's a, it's a fairly long process. And uh, yeah, so you're, you're sitting there with a lot of, and these little needle files, I've, I've actually seen them. I don't know how you figure out what you're doing with them, but you're just sitting there doing those little tiny things. And do the, mm -hmm. do the needle files last a long time or do they wear out eventually? Cause they're really tiny. They, they are, uh, they do wear out eventually, but, uh, you know, I, I would say every five or 600 pipes they'll wear out. <laughs> so we get, a, we get a bit of use out of them. But still, they're also not something that you can just go down to Walmart or uh, Home Depot and pick up. Uh, yeah, well, the ones you get there are not really all that useful for pipe making. So we have the ones that I use are a special order um, uh, file that comes from Switzerland. Um, and, you know, it takes a it takes a lot of trial and error and a lot of practice to be able to do it efficiently and correctly. Uh, I've seen, a, I've worked with a lot of people learning to make pipes through the years and you see a lot of mangled slots on the way to making nice ones. The slot <laughs> being the, the end yeah. of the mouthpiece. And, and all this work is because you want to keep that essential capacity of four millimeters of airspace to fit through a stem. That's also comfortable to put in your mouth because if you left a round four mm -hmm. millimeter hole in there, we'd all be walking around like we're holding onto a bowling pin in our, in our lips. Yeah. But your orthodontist would probably be happy. Well, or we'd have very out of shape and we'd have very out of shape mouths of some sort. So that would be a little, uh, a little awkward. Um, it would be and very uncomfortable in the, in this process. I'm assuming there's also opportunity in there for you to, you, you've kind of already shaped the stem at that point. No, I do all of that before I've I've shaped the mouthpiece. So it's I'm all I've done is turned the tenon and perhaps any kind of decorative area like the saddle or uh, like the bullet shape. Um, and but the, the rest of the mouthpiece is cylindrical at that point. And so I basically have a more or less unshaped piece of ebonite with a tenon on it so that it fits in the in the stumble. And then a nice finished slot in the end. And after I'm done with the slot, I use it as a reference for shaping the rest of the mouthpiece. So then you got to be careful when you're shaping the rest of the mouthpiece that you don't go down and hit that air hole. Uh, yeah. Because then you're now you're uh, I'm I'm just looking at a I'm looking at a J. Allen pipe in my hands right now, which I happen to have a few handy. Um and noticing that that's, you know, there's probably a millimeter or so of air hole in a three millimeter capacity space right there behind the button. Yeah, there's, you know, like I said, every pipe maker, myself included, has uh, his his or her share of failures at the beginning. But 
Um, when you are, uh, like I was when I first started, when you're buying rods of ebonite by the inch, um, you, you tend to learn pretty quickly to, to <laughs> be careful. <laughs> there you go. Jeff, thank you very much. Hey, happy to do it. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is uh, one of those people that you meet at a pipe show and you just go, you know, wow, all the things that uh, that you're involved in, John. So from Rev's Pipes, please welcome John Jensen to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, thank you so much. So, uh, nice to be here. So, so let me guess, based off of your last name being Jensen, it's probably really pronounced Jensen, and you might be Scandinavian of heritage. Yes, sir, I am Danish. <laughs> You're one of those Vikings that rode over here and, uh, and decided to stay? Yeah, my, my great-grandmother came over, so I, I wasn't that, that long ago. Um, but yeah, I... I, I'm very, uh, I don't know, I, I look at my Viking heritage very romantically. <laughs> you don't have one of those hats with the horns, do you? Th those are actually not uh, not very uh, historically accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but they sell well at Renaissance festivals, so let, let's not worry. <laughs> <laughs> So where did you, uh, let, let's get your, uh, your superhero origin story. Um, where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I, um, I, I like to say that I started in, um, Brooklyn, New York, because that's where my family's from. Um, but I spent, you know, I, I was here when I was three years old, so it, I guess it doesn't really count. Um, my, my family didn't want to raise or my parents didn't want to raise a family in Brooklyn so they moved to uh to southern california when i was very young and i grew up in a area of southern california that is uh called riverside county yeah um most most people consider that uh go back to riverside a a grievous insult, and <laughs> I was told that that's where the dirt people are from. So that's where I grew up, um, in in the the white trash haven of the dirt people. <laughs> and um, I uh, I actually had a, a, a wonderful uh, just a, a wonderful growing up. Um, 
both my parents uh, were, were in the home for a, lo- a long time, and uh, and um, we lived in a, a just this really neat area with surrounded by foothills and and dairy farms, and it was just a lot of fun. Um, and of course, as many many people my age. Um, they wanted to be a professional football player for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the only <laughs> difference was I wanted to be a, a defensive uh, defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys because um, Bob Lilly was my favorite player. Most people wanted to be running backs, but I wanted to be one of the one of the big fat guys. <laughs> so uh, that that was that was what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, uh, unfortunately I quit playing football because my freshman year in high school, I was five foot four, 112 pounds. And, uh, I was just too small to be a lineman, even though I I played on the high school team as a lineman at, at that size, but I quit and I stuck with wrestling afterwards. And, um, and then two years later I was six, two, you know, so if I would have just kept kept in the weight room, I think that I easily could have uh, probably played at the junior college level. But yeah, those those guys nowadays are just so big and fast. I I, I I'm probably uh, lucky that I stopped playing football when I did. Now is that the same Dallas Cowboys football team that had Ed Too Tall Jones on it? Yes, and Roger Staubach. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think Bob Lilly, uh, Ed, Ed Jones started after Bob Lilly, or maybe like they overlapped a little bit, but yeah, it was, uh, Ed Tutal Jones and, um, Hollywood Henderson and, um, Tony Dorsett and, and yeah, it, it was, that was when they were actually, most of the people had some, they, they yeah, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I really don't like who the Dallas Cowboys are now, even though they're still my favorite team because I am loyal to a fault. <laughs> well, I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm a Dodgers fan. Whether they're good or bad or indifferent, I still can't hate them. Uh, I love the Dodgers, man. See, I I started in Brooklyn and then I went to L.A., so I have to be a Dodgers fan. Yeah. Well, that's why I tell all the New Yorkers the best baseball, the best New York baseball teams moved to California. So. <laughs> really makes friends with them. Um, sorry, New York Pipe Club. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what? What Thank did you? you I disagree. Yeah. Uh, what did you end up doing once you uh, <laughs> once you grew up, or have you grown up yet? Well, I'm working on it. Um, I. I was, uh, yeah, believe it or not, some of my, uh, the people that I went to high school with um, were Portuguese, and they brought Brave Bulls to California, and they did bullfights, and the Portuguese-style bullfighting is pretty crazy. The, the, they fight it off horseback um, with these just beautiful horses, and when the horse rider's done, then a group of guys called the Porcados come out, and there's eight of us, and we stand in a line. And the first guy gets the bull to charge and lets it hit him in the stomach, and he grabs it around the neck, and everyone piles on his back until they 
stop the bull. Uh, and, and, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just the first guy gets hit in the stomach by a bull charging. Yes. Oh. And there's a technique to it. You, you basically bulls don't see very well. So you, you, uh, you back up as they're charging and they try to hit you with the flat of their head, not their horns. Um, and so if you do it correctly, you wind up in between the horns and you grab it around the neck and everyone kind of piles on your back. And, um, and then you subdue a, uh, you know, a thousand pound bull, you know, just, <laughs> and, and when I first saw that, I thought it was the coolest thing I ever seen. So I, I started doing that. And, um, so my goal was, I was, I was going to go to junior college and get my Spanish better. And then I was going to go to, um, to the university of, uh, Mexico city to go to school um, because the, the people that taught us how to do the fighting were, were some people in Mexico. And I had a couple of connections in um, the modeling agency and, uh, and uh, acting. Uh, what do you call those guys? Agents. So um, because I was six two, blonde hair, blue eyes, I, I was <laughs> like a, a very, it would have been easy for me to get jobs as a model and as a uh, actor in Mexico. So I was going to do that and then bullfight and I was, you know, going to die in the arena at 25 and people were going to write poems and stuff about me. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I became a construction worker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I I'm just sitting here thinking once again, here is the pipe smoking world that I, that I live in and love and, where else would I get a chance to talk to somebody about Portuguese bullfighting uh, and, and, and somebody who actually did it and survived? Yeah, man, I actually was good at it. They, um, they, they did a, uh, I guess they, the, one of the Portuguese newspapers did a, uh, a, a survey of the best American four Cados over the last, uh, I think it was 30 years or something like that. And I, I actually finished fourth. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that they, people remembered me. I hadn't been in the scene for, you know, 30 years, but people remembered back when I was, when I was doing it. And so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. Um, but basically what happened was while I was planning on moving to Mexico, I, I, became a a pretty devout um born again style christian and um and i realized that the bullfighting was a lot more about my own ego than it was about trying to make the world a better place so um i stopped doing that and i focused my attention on other things so which essentially was training to be a minister, um, and and in doing that, I just took a job working construction so that I could work, have more freedom of schedule, and I could do my uh, my ministry training on the side. 
and actually be able to live to tell about it <laughs> instead of slipping and ending up on the horns of the bull. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I, well, I don't know if it's funny. It's weird that I I had gotten banged up pretty good, but I'd never been like what I you know the difference between being hurt and being injured. Yeah. I I'd gotten hurt, but I'd never gotten injured. And then I I felt like I was you know whether you want to call it God or or you know I came to this realization or you know the universe was telling me or something whatever you want to say um, in in my uh, in my belief system I felt like God was telling me that it was enough and I had to stop doing it but for some reason I loved it so much I I kind of talked myself into going back and doing it again and after I quit and went back. Three bullfights in a row, I got injured. The The first one, um, I, I got a concussion. The second one, I got three broken ribs. And then the third one, I got uh, my teeth knocked all the way through my lip and, and wow. another concussion. And, and at, at that point, I said, uh, well, you know what, God? You don't have to tell me more than three times, and, and that was uh, that was the last time I ever did it. So, or, or, or dear God, I got the point, or I haven't yeah. gotten the point of the horns yet, so I'll get out. So, uh, we'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll we'll talk about pipe smoking. So, stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, John Jensen, the, the Danish matador. Um, <laughs> um, well, the Danish matador for Christ. How's that? <laughs> well, boy, that's a, that's a title. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, when does pipe smoking come into your world? Well, I think... Um... I think I was around, I think I was around 35 years old or so. And, uh, you know, all that time I would occasionally smoke a cigar. Um, and I started getting more serious about smoking cigars. And I really only liked expensive cigars. <laughs> and that's the problem is, you know, I, I, I've been pretty, um, oh, we like to say we've lived simply, um, most of our life we've lived very simply. And so spending, you know, eight to $15, $20 on a, on a cigar that was going to be gone in 45 minutes. Um, it, I just couldn't justify that, but I saw that pipes 
you could buy a tin of tobacco and it, it could last you a whole month, you know? So, um, I mean, obviously I, I don't smoke that much. So, um, you know, it, it could last you a good, a good while. So I got a bunch of, uh, estate pipes. I made a bid on eBay. I think I paid $22 for eight pipes and, uh, and they were all crap. Um, but, <laughs> I got kind of addicted to looking at these pipes and I, uh, I really liked the Danish freehand pipes, especially the, the fan pipes, which I now think are horribly ugly, <laughs> but I, I wanted one of those, but they sold for like 200, $300. I'm like, man, I can't afford that. Um, so my wife bought me a couple of pipe kits for christmas and i just used sandpaper and and kind of made my own uh danish freehand pipes um and um other people saw them and and said hey would you make me one and so i just order another pipe kit and i'd carve it and you know i i wound up you know, doing a number of those until, until I was like, hey, people seem to like these. Um, why don't I uh, ask if, if people want me to make them pipe for, for uh, Christmas gifts? And yeah. I got 14 orders, and I, I got the pipe kits, and I made 14 pipes. And by then, I was pretty hooked, and, and I decided to figure out how to make the whole pipe instead of just ordering kits and um and so yeah i started doing that and and i thought i was doing okay i look at the pipes that i used to make and i kind of cringe but uh you know eventually i i got some some training and a lot of different people helped me along the way and now I'm, i i don't know i i think i'm a lot better of a pipe maker than when i started i don't know how good i am but i i try pretty dang hard yeah so you're one of the guys that actually kind of came out of the cigar boom saw the pipes and decided to try that and, and then decided that you wanted to make one because you couldn't do one of those fancy one you, you couldn't buy one of those fancy ones uh, when when did you get the proper tooling to make pipes it was probably about 10 years ago um, one of my friends, uh, his name is Jamie Morian, and uh, he's one of my friends from Australia. And that's a different story. I, I lived in Australia for four years. And, uh, and so he, he's always been really supportive of me. And um, so he bought me a 1938 Sheldon lathe. Wow. That is just the coolest thing. Um, and, um, and then I bought a lot of you know, you know, the spoon bits and the different stuff like that. Um, and you know, that was a little over 10 years ago, I think. And, um, and yeah, that, that lathe worked until just last week or two weeks ago. And I, I had to, uh, get a new lathe. So, oh no. and my, <laughs> my wife, uh, said, okay, well, the, the shop doesn't have a lathe in it. I want you to you know, paint it and, and make it, you know, put, put a flooring in and stuff like that. So I've got, I got all these pipes that I want to 
put holes in and and i have to finish uh making the making the shop look nice before i'm allowed to do that so (laughs) that's that's what i got on on my schedule for the next two weeks did you get a chance to work with any other pipe makers or to to kind of get some uh, guidance and and training i talked to um tyler beard um I, I talked to him a lot and he helped me talking on the phone and I, and I got as much learning as I could off of the, uh, the pipe makers forum. And then I, uh, I did a, uh, I, I actually did a GoFundMe um, and raised some money to go spend a week with uh, Grant Batson. Okay. And, um, and he, he, he helped me a lot. And then once I was back, I, I had a number of people that, you know, helped me. I, I spent, uh, uh, a weekend with a number of California pipe makers at, uh, at Jeff's, um, J Allen pipes, um, at, at his shop down in San Diego. And, um, and I learned a lot there. Um, and, and there was, um, uh, Markle was there, Ernie Markle was there, and um, Steve uh, Liskey was there. Um, uh, shoot, what's his name? Um, not Adam Remington, uh, the other Adam. Uh, Adam Davidson. Adam Davidson was there. Yeah. Um, and he he helped me a lot. And it was, it was interesting because I... Um, I'd met him before at a pipe show and um I think that he's I think that he's very introverted. Yeah. And and I thought that he hated me. Um yeah. but when it was a smaller group at at the you know at Jeff's place um he was really really kind to me and he helped me a lot and and um I wound up having a really um I just wound up feeling a, a real uh i don't know fondness for him yeah i think he's an amazing pipe maker too he's so good um you know and and jeff's like you know you you just kind of okay so uh, i'll never be that good but <laughs> i want to want to keep trying um but yeah so it, it, i got to spend um uh j and j pipes when they were still making together i i spent um i spent a few days with them up in uh fresno um yeah so i i i went around and spent as much time as i could with other makers mostly in california and um i'm trying to see if i can spend some time with um with tyler when once this uh covid thing kind of gets under control and then um I would really, if I could, if I could spend time with anybody in the world, I, I really want to spend some time with uh, Cornelius Mans, oh. Mains. I don't know how you say it, but God, that guy's pipes are the most beautiful pipes. I, I just, every time I look at him, I, I just feel it awe. So, um, so you, I'm hoping someday I can visit him. Uh, you've been around some serious guys. I mean, like some you know, some serious heavy hitters. Uh, yeah. 
what kind of what I guess how would how would you define your style of pipes? Um well someone told me that someone told me that I tend to have a real kind of fat bottom Danish um feel to to it. Mm-hmm. But but I still seem like I I was very California influenced. <laughs> um so I mean I, I I don't like when I think about it myself, I think that I've been mostly trying to make pipes that look like other people's pipes. Um, and, uh, you know, one of my goals for right now um, is to start exploring more my artistic and sculptural side and trying to make stuff that, that I want to make. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that what, is going to come out of my shop over the next couple of years is probably going to be a bit different to what I was doing in the past. Um, and I, I, I heard a couple of things about, um, about Goto Mm -hmm. and, and the way in which he, he has like this methodology where he, he uses a, uh, a lazy Susan and a mirror to kind of look at his pipes from all angles and stuff. And I think I kind of want to be, you know, maybe even mimic that, but I I want to do more to, to refine my process so that I'm, I'm making better quality pipes, but at the same time doing the more sculptural kind of stuff that I want to do, rather than just trying to make a really good billiard or a really good, um, you know, apple. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I really want to do a lot more with horn and bamboo and I've got some really nice aged horn and some pretty crazy bamboo pieces. So I'm looking forward to the future. Now pipe making is not your, uh, is not your full-time, your full-time thing, right? Um, well, I just had to close my, um, my MMA school. So I was, a I was a professional MMA fighter. I'm a third degree. Um, well, I'm, I'm two months from getting my third degree in, in, um, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I've been wrestling for 30 years. Uh, I was a kickboxer. Um, and so, um, I've been teaching martial arts for a long time. And, and so I, I had a, a martial arts school that was taking up almost all of my time. And essentially that just went under. Um, and so I haven't been making pipes at all the last five years because the, the school was taking up all of my time. And so um, there's a lot there was a lot of sadness um, with with losing my school, and, and it was really hard for me. But um, I feel like now I'm, I'm pretty much going to make pipes about 30 hours a week. And, um, and I'm going to do some of my uh, – I, I, I'm a painter too, so I'm going to do some painting and some 
some private lessons and uh and the nice thing is right now my wife um my wife has a job that really gives her a lot of life and and gives her a a wonderful um you know it's it's like when you have a job that that makes you feel good inside and it and it is um fulfilling rather than just brings home the bacon you know yeah. so she has this wonderful job that really makes her life fulfilling but it's also making enough money that we don't really have to worry about income so um so i can focus on doing these other things and you know the the goal would be that they bring in money but i don't have to worry about that right now so you can spend some time now refining your uh refining your pipe craft and your art and kind of focus on that and get that back up and running at full speed. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the goal. And, and I'm still going to be doing some, uh, some martial arts, private lessons, um, which for like, I much prefer the um, grappling styles, but I can't do that. I can't teach that now during COVID. So I'm, I'm just teaching some kickboxing um, private lessons outdoors at my house where I can keep my mask on and stay, you know, six feet away. Um, so I can, I can bring in income. Uh, actually, a, a, I, I actually make a lot of money doing that, um, but I just won't be working a lot of hours. So, um, so I'll be bringing in some money. I don't want to be a total freeloader. Um, but the rest I will, uh, I will be getting to express my, uh, more creative side. And, uh, and that really lines up a lot with my faith because, you know, I believe that God is a creator. I mean, that's yeah. the first thing that my scriptures talk about is God's creation. Um, and it says that we're made in God's image. And so if that's true, then when we create it's something that kind of ties us into god's identity so i think that for me personally i actually feel almost like i'm praying when i'm painting or or making my pipes it, it, it's it's a, a pretty spiritual process for me how do we go about seeing your pipes and and buying your pipes um well uh i i am on instagram it's Revs Pipes, um, R-E-V-S Pipes, and um, you can also, uh, you can get, um, we're going to be getting the website together. It's not really together right now, um, but there's something there. It's just not anything current, and that's uh, RevsPipes.com. I'm hoping that'll be up and running within the next month or two, and then, um on Facebook, uh, there's a Revs Pipes page on Facebook as well. And if you get a hold of me on any of those social media platforms, um, I, you know, if you're interested in one of the pipes you see there, or if you want to commission a pipe, um, yeah, I'm more than happy to, uh, to do that. But what I've decided is if I take a commission, um, I'm not taking any money until it's done. So I don't, I don't want to be stressed. I'm hoping to, to push stress 
out of my life as much as I can. Where do your pipes start out at price wise? Um, I'm probably, um, going to price myself about where I was before, um, which is 150 for my lowest, um, sandblasts and 40 for my best, um, smooths. I mean, 400 for my best smooths. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'll be, most of my pipes will probably be between 200 and $350, um, but uh, I'm hoping that my um, that my quality is going to continue to go up, um, and I hope my quality goes up faster than my pricing does. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: if you if I'm ever in a bar fight, I want you on my side. Yeah, that would be a very good choice. Yeah, except mainly because I. I won't be drunk. I, I uh, usually make sure that I stay one one drink behind drunk. And bar <laughs> fights, the guy who's not drunk always has an advantage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so with that, John, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I uh, Yes. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, it's a, it's a Cornelius man's, uh, bent cherry, I think. And what is your favorite tobacco? Um, G and H dark plug. Ooh, the strong stuff. Um, what is your favorite drink? Um, Lagavulin 16. Ooh. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? A movie. And then finally, this one's going to be tough because I'm pretty sure you've had a whole bunch of experiences, but do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Uh, I remember um, I I was smoking a pipe at the Chicago Pipe Show, um... I think it was in 2015. And um, when I was there, a, a group of investors saw my case open and, uh, and they bought half the case while I was <laughs> smoking a pipe in the tent. <laughs> and so that was a, that was a pretty fun memory. Uh, but uh yeah, I mean the truth is is I I just it's hard to say because I I just had so many times where I'm just kicking back with a pipe and a and a whiskey with with one of my really good friends and you know, I mean, you can't really compare all of those, right? Cuz yeah. you, you know, I I love so many people in the pipe world that uh yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's a really interesting world filled with these crazy different people. And, um, yeah, man, I, I, I just, uh, I love, I love this crazy pipe world and the crazy people in it. It, It's just amazing. 
And if you want to see some great videos, uh, go to go to the John Jensen Facebook page because uh, John, you do some you you do some great little chats there. But I've just got to tell you, your dog steals the show. She is just wonderful when she sits there and grunts and snores and snorts and and i love it to death so well thank you i i uh yeah we we've always had pit bulls or one of their derivatives for our whole life and their noisiness is a big part of that they're just (laughs) vocal dogs and and we just love it and especially Susie, she's just quite a character so I agree. That's the best part of my talks is my dog. <laughs> John Jensen, Revs Pipes, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for joining me. It was my pleasure, bro. And we'll be back in just a minute. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And if you want to see something crazy, I promise you, Google search and watch uh, or watch on YouTube Portuguese bullfighting or forcados, F-O-R-C-A-D-O-S. Just check that out. It's, I mean, it's some crazy stuff. All right, for music, uh, Feels like it's been a while since we've had uh, Nickel Creek on. So this one is from the album Why Should the Fire Die? And it's called Tomorrow is a Long Time. Or remember the sound of my own 
That is uh, Nickel Creek with a fellow named Chris Thiele on mandolin. There is a message for you. And remember, mailbag comments or questions, you can email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com, or you can, uh, I don't know, send smoke signals. So here we go. Uh... First off, we have uh, Pastor Joda who wrote in and said that he was looking for a birth year Dunhill. Uh, unfortunately, it was 1980, and you know I'm not a big fan of the uh, of 1980 to 1999 with what Dunhill was doing. So I gave him an alternative, and I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the show before. Uh, early and can, and still doing it now. Uh, there is a dating system on Smooth Costellos, and you'll see the year in the castle. And it turns out for 1980, it's uh, it, it'll be Mark 33 because it goes back to when the company was founded, post World War II, 1947. So, if you're looking for a dated yeared uh, Costello, just look for those two digits under the castle. And it's not on all of them, and I'm not sure what the rhyme or reason is. Maybe one of the Costello experts out there can chime in, but on a lot of the smooths, you'll see that dating in there. Um, also, if you're are date, if you looking for dating on an Ashton pipe, because uh, Bill Taylor started producing Ashton pipes in 1983 officially, uh, those are going to be marked with a three because he's he started, he, he went back to 1980 as zero, even though there aren't any, but three four five six seven eight nine that's going to get you through all the way up until the 90s so you can look for those as uh 1980 to 19 to the year 2000 dated pipes that will substitute for a birth year dunhill 
Um, if anybody's listening to this show and their birth year Dunhill is like 2004 or five, you know what? Stop listening right now. You're too young. Ha ha. You can't listen anymore. Uh, just another Jim Nelson wrote in, uh, sad you played the Dylan version. I'm, I am of a certain age that I'm very familiar with the movie, Billy the Kid. And, uh, that was on the original soundtrack, but had no idea Guns N' Roses covered the song. I guess I'll have to go find the cover on the internet myself since you won't play it. Yeah, too long. No pipe smokers in it. Sorry. Uh, Gnarly Briar writes, I suggest that it would be good to supply us with DDR, David Dorian Ross's company's names. Maybe we know someone who would want to learn a little bit more about Tai Chi and or the VET programs. So, by a simple search of David Dorian Ross, uh, the website is taijifit.net. T-A-I-J-I-F-I-T.net. And that's where you can find everything that he does. Plus, if you go on to YouTube, you can just look up uh, David Dorian Ross. And he's got a, a Tai Chi channel. And he's got a Wikipedia page, so... There you go. There's all your answers on that. Uh, Dino says, A wonderful conversation with DDR that highlighted the new world of virtual pipe shows on Zoom and YouTube, which have taken the place of actual pipe shows. While a very poor substitute for the meet and greet, talk, schmooze, trade, and share of the real thing, these virtual hookups keep us all in touch in weekly rather than, in some cases, annual gatherings. Bravo to him and other organizers for their efforts. Loved Bob's original knocking on, uh, knocking not a bad backup group, including Roger McGuinn, Booker T, and Jim Keltner. Hope to see you at our Zoom meet on IPSD. Thanks for another always entertaining show. And yes, I was there. I was on the uh, Zoom meet for International Pipe Smoking Day. Uh, Casey Ghost says, I had heard about the blowing smoke deal before and thought it was kind of ludicrous until I thought about the state of medicine in that time and realized it was a time of just try things and see if they work. And with our endless tries at tempting fate and our reliance on nothing more than coincidence, I realized it was inevitable. Um, I'll just add in, remember if you were insane or if you had a lot of headaches, you know, back in the Renaissance time, they'd drill a hole in your in your uh, <laughs> uh, in your skull to release the pain out, and of course, it released your life out too. Um, and then uh, Casey Ghost goes on to say, David Dorian was a great guest. He was talkative without dominating the discussion, and genuinely an interesting guy. He has done a great service by starting the Virtual Pipe Club. While I'm definitely a non-participant in such things, I can see where it has tremendous value to pipe smokers everywhere. And then he talked about Tai Chi and yoga. Great Caesar's ghost. I couldn't believe it. I realize millions of people pursue this, but it's just exercise and relaxing. Uh, still making my mind up on Dylan's musical efforts. I guess I would say it was definitely better than a five and a half minute diatribe by Van Halen or whoever it was. <laughs> um, the Guns N' Roses one's got a, got a great guitar solo in it. So there you go. All right, comments, questions, emails, suggestions, shoot them over to me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com. Travel questions, happy to answer them as well. And uh, rant time is coming up next.
This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. of those Zoom meetings and the uh, Zoom pipe clubs and the Zoom gatherings or whatever you want to call them or uh, how you know whatever whatever brand of gathering you're doing um, here's a little bit of advice for you one before you get on those Zoom meetings with other people make sure that you understand how your camera and microphone work and how to mute or turn off your camera especially if you're going to do something uh, that you would normally do in that little room with the porcelain bowl in it. Just make sure that you do that because, uh, and make sure you understand how to leave the meeting if you are going to leave. Make sure you understand how to do that so that there's not commentary in the background. But just learn how to use that mute button if you're having a discussion at home. Nobody really wants to hear that, although some of those have been some of the highlights of Zoom meetings. Um, also, my advice for those of you on those Zoom meetings is that just remember, it's not like you're in a smoke shop and there's uh, 15 or 20 people around and you can have sidebar conversations going on in one part of the room and one in another part of the room. No, nope. Zoom works best when one person is talking at a time and then somebody else talks. So... What you need to think of is one, don't talk over other people, two, wait until there is a break, and then make sure that what you have to say is poignant to the conversation. And the thought process that I have is, is it going to add to the conversation or is it going to just further it along or detract? I only wanna talk when it's going to add to the conversation or it's some snarky little bitchy joke of mine. That's it. All right, there's the Zoom 101 meetings for you. And I got to tell you, some of the funniest things have been what goes on off the camera, but the microphone is still on. So, <laughs> yeah, priceless. Also got some pretty good pictures of people with their reaction shots. So there you go. All right. Um, remember, keep uh, keep those uh, ideas, comments, and suggestions coming. Brian at PipesMagazine.com. If you're on iTunes, would really appreciate a rating and a review there. That would be absolutely great. And continue sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show out to all your friends and enemies and whoever else. So with that, thank you to uh, Jeff for his wisdom. Thank you to the Reverend John Jensen for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares?
clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Kendall is sitting down with Posey McGlynn. She is my main rival for that assistant's job. Oh, look at the shameless way she's flirting with him. Disgusting. You flirted with him? I'm from the South. <laughs> flirting is part of my heritage. What do you mean? Her mother was a slut, too.